everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show today. As you probably know, we're in the middle of a series called For the Love of Powerhouse Women, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, I am essentially having the good fortune to talk to a bunch of incredibly intelligent, incredibly powerful women doing very meaningful, important work in their fields. And I mean, I'm just fired up from all of them. They're every one of them inspiring and exciting. And um, this whole series has just sort of re-sparked my imagination for what is possible. And not only what is possible, what's already happening um, out there. We just tend to get so bogged down right now in like one kind of story. Um, You know, the news cycle prefers a certain kind of story. And so um, what's good to remember is that there is so much amazing work going on at this minute out there. It is not all doomsday. There is, there are women out there changing the landscape of their careers and of their fields. And My next guest is quite literally changing the world. I'm not kidding. She is. She's changing the way it looks, the way it listens to other people, um, the voices it gives power and credence to. I'm excited to introduce you today um, to Erin Los Cutraro. Okay. Erin is a very respected voice in the pursuit of gender equality for women. So she's the founder and the CEO of an organization called She Should Run. She Should Run is this transformative, nonpartisan, obviously, organization that encourages women from all walks of life to run for public office. So since 2011, um, Erin's efforts have inspired almost 40,000 women to run for office. Isn't that amazing? And then another 16,000 women have taken their first step toward a run through another of Erin's programs called the Incubator, which we're going to talk about, which is also something she built from the ground up. I cannot wait for some of you guys to hear this. I, I just know that some of my listeners today are going to want to grab onto this space with both hands. Um, she should run, and I ask Erin about this, currently has a vision to see 250,000 women running for office by the year 2030. That's not that far away. And she'll explain why that she picked that number. It's not a random number. Uh, Can you imagine a world where there are 250,000 women in our country making decisions on both a local and a federal scale? Things would be so different. So, so, so different. And Aaron and I talk a little bit about what it means to be underrepresented in politics and then how that affects everybody. This isn't just for women. This is for our whole community, our whole culture. Um, So Aaron's an entrepreneur. She's also a business strategist. Uh, Fun fact, in 2016, she actually partnered with Mattel to create the 2016 presidential Barbie and vice presidential Barbie. So that's hilarious. She began her career as a teacher, same as me. She taught sixth grade. Her career path carried her into the nonprofit world and the financial world and then led her into the world of politics. And so she says that her two daughters are her daily reminders to continue the fight um, for gender equality for women and girls, specifically unlocking barriers and supporting their leadership opportunities. This is an exciting conversation today, you guys. It is full of promise. It is full of hope. It is full of optimism and excitement, and you are going to be so glad that you downloaded today. So please enjoy this conversation with the very wonderful Erin Los Cutraro. Erin, welcome to the For the Love podcast. I am, I'm really delighted to have you on today. Thank you, Jen. It's great to be here. Yeah, I can't wait for my listeners to just get to know you over the next bit. Um, I, the work that you're doing right now is so exciting to me. It just reminds me, of course, how it felt at the midterms to just watch woman after woman get elected, which we'll get to that. But um, you're just you're doing you're doing work that matters right now. So I've told my listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. And we're going to get way into that. But if you will let me, I would love to roll it back 
to the beginning for just a minute and learn about young Aaron <laughs> and what what were you noticing about the world back then? And I wonder if this was embedded in you. Were you noticing how girls and boys were treated differently? Were you noticing that women and men in your life had different roles or different responsibilities? I'm just, I'm curious how early this started for you. Yeah. I mean, I think it did, it did start early. It's what you're exposed to. So for me, I, I'm a Midwestern girl. I was born and raised in Missouri and, um, primarily by a single mom. So my mom was my everything. Uh, she raised my sister and I with, you know, what, what never felt like a struggle in the day, but in looking back on it, a, a heroic effort right, for her totally. to, you know, just, just to, just to get by every day. And, and so for me, I think, you know, what, what I noticed very early is just the strong women in my life who were getting it done in all mm. sorts of ways. I did not grow up in a, a political family. Politics was not something that we talked about, you know, over dinner at night. Um, it's certainly not something that, um, even around elections was something that, you know, we found uh, as quite of core to our conversations as a family. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, it was really more about, uh, the difference that you can make in, you know, in people's lives and in the way you live every day. And, and so for me, it was, it was just this high exposure to, uh, to women who were getting it done. Mm. So as you sort of grew up and, and became an adult, was there a moment? Was there a spark? Um, was there an experience um, that said, you should be the one, you're the one to start an organization to help women find their way into politics? Um, or was it more a slow burn? Um, and then how did you even know where to begin or how to start? Or did you know that? Maybe you didn't know anything. <laughs> Maybe you went in blind, like most of us do when we start something new and big. I would say I definitely, um, I, I, I went in not knowing exactly where this was going. Mm. I, um, I'm not somebody still to this day, I'm not somebody who loves the spotlight. So it was never going to uh. be about what I was going to do. Um, yeah. but, but what I always had, and in, even as a, as a young child, I always had a curiosity. So, mm. you know, I, I, um, got my undergraduate degree in education. I was actually a, a sixth grade teacher for a few years before I, I started asking lots of questions about the education system and, you know, what we, what lever we could pull to make a difference, uh, mm -hmm. for as many kids in schools as possible. And, um, and, and that pulled me into kind of the next phase of my life. Um, when I, when I got my, uh, my master's degree in organizational learning and development again, cause I was curious, I wanted to see how people learn, how people thought, you know, how systems worked. And so, you know, if you sort of skip over a whole bunch of years there and, you know, what, what it was about starting this entity, it was a curiosity and it was an impatience. You know, I didn't work in politics my whole career up to the point of starting She Should Run, but I had been working in politics for a number of years and I just was so impatient with the numbers. We would, I would see hmm. so like the insane effort that was going into supporting women running for office up and down the ticket, every election cycle. And, you know, prior to our most recent election cycle, the story was always, uh, maybe we ticked forward one percentage point in the overall percentage yeah. of women serving. Maybe we went backwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and it just felt like, wow, is there anything else that we can add to this landscape that would be of value? And, and there was just something, a fire in my belly that said, yes. Mm. So this is a question, of course, a lot of us are asking right now and with such massive implications to the way our society and culture is working. But I'd really like to hear your answer specifically. Yeah. Um, what are the key challenges that we face mm -hmm. um, when women and minorities, <clears throat> excuse me, and differently abled people and other underrepresented groups are not elected to government positions. What are the implications of this? I mean, the short of it is we don't have the smartest policies that we can in this country. We're missing out. I always look at it like we're missing out on this huge talent pool. You know, women and and 
you know, minorities and, and as you said, differently abled people, anyone who has a different experience in this world, a different perspective has something of value to bring to policymaking. And if, you know, you sort of only have one slice of the country represented, you know, albeit an important slice, you want to see all of the slices represented Mm -hmm. So that when you're deciding, you know, to to bring it to a local level, you're deciding how, you know, a school board governs and the decisions that are going to be made for a school district, that it's that that those decisions aren't being made with just people who experience one one type of life um, in mind. So so it's, it's really about missing a talent pool. Mm. Uh, I have a good friend named Latasha Morrison, and she runs a huge organization called Be the Bridge, and it her her work centers on sort of racial equality and racial justice and reconciliation. And she always says that if you've got two candidates who are kind of on their face similarly qualified, she's like, um, you know, in her world, she's like just having a black candidate is. That is elevated because simply being black is a gift yeah. to the room. That's Just right. That the the lived experience of that person, right. um, their their perspective, their understanding of of different angles of whatever that organization is and does and who they serve and how and and so you know you're right. It's just simply an entirely new angle for everyone's betterment. That's and right. That, that is a that lifts every boat in the harbor. That's right. And you know, that's what's been so interesting about working in in a gendered space. So working in a space where we're talking about women and the need for more women and girls to rise into positions of political leadership that, um, you know, often the conversation becomes about why this is, or or the questions become about like, why is this helpful to women? It's, it's helpful to everyone. That's right. We are all smarter for that, for for that experience. We're all smarter when, you know, we have, we have, we have tapped that, that full talent pool, um, when we're thinking about how to, you know, how to solve complicated issues Mm -hmm. and, and you want that. We all should want that. Absolutely. I am very inspired by and loved reading about your program, the incubator. I think this is innovative and fabulous work. Can you talk about how the incubator program came about and then why it's important and then the impact that it's, that's having in communities across the country? Absolutely. So the incubator is a great, uh, it's a great testament to, to curiosity as well. So after we had, I started the organization in 2011 around a really simple program that we still run that is incredibly important. That's our ask a woman to run program. So it's mm. a really simple vehicle where anyone who, you know, wants to get involved in, uh, seeing more women rise into elected roles in this country can come to, she should run and tell us about a great woman who should lead a lot of the really important training programs that are out there that are kind of 101 training programs of and beyond, I should say, uh, on, you know, how to fundraise, how to build a media plan, how to build yeah. a get out of the effort, all of that. It's incredibly important work. It is actually not the work that, that mm. she should run does. And, and so what, what I was doing in this period, um, a, a few years prior to 2016 was looking at, we were constantly demystifying the landscape for women who were coming into the, she should run community. Mm. And, and what I saw, my hunch was there was a there was a step we were missing. Mm-hmm. And so I started to survey political directors from you know all sorts of political parties and and kind of uh, players in the landscape to say, um, basically, how, how do you how do you get women into your program? So you have often, many of them were describing these, you know these, you know, 80% of women who were in the room who, you know, it felt so good to have a full room, but yes, the conversion was Mm. 20% actually signed up. And I went, okay, let's talk about that 80%. So for us, uh, we started to look at for those women who are curious about running for office, maybe are encouraged to run for office, but are not yet ready Mm -hmm. to take that next bigger commitment what could we provide? What would be of value? And so we, we surveyed, we focus grouped, we did these wonderful things we called think-ins where we intentionally talked to women outside of politics, women who were change makers in their communities, in their workplaces and their homes. And, and we said, 
what, you know, here are the resources. If somebody were to encourage you to run for office, what would you do? And many of them said, Ooh, I don't see myself in that. I'm not, I don't, you know, it didn't feel like an approachable starting place. So from that, we curated all the resources that we could find that connected the dots between leadership and politics. We built what is now the She Should Run Incubator. Oh, it's so good. Um, Just sort of a bridge, which is true. That's a useful bridge for most people who are trying to imagine a new vision for, for her life. Hey, everybody. You know bra shopping isn't my favorite. I mean, whose favorite is it? It's a lot of work to figure out your size, much less to see if the bra you pick is going to be comfortable or not. And so I do not play that guessing game anymore, thanks to Third Love. Third Love is awesome because in 60 seconds, I went online, I took their Fit Finder quiz, and they matched me with a bra that absolutely works for me. They have more than 70 sizes, including half cup sizes. So I'm telling you, anybody can find their own fit. And not only that, Third Love makes the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. Um, The straps don't slip. There's tagless labels, memory foam cups. Everything just has a very premium feel to it. Um, I can tell you from my experience that I love their bras so much. I think at this point I have nine. I'm not kidding. I think I have nine bras from third love. So they know that there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Okay. So go to thirdlove.com slash for the love, and you'll find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your purchase. Not bad. So it's thirdlove.com slash for the love for 15% off today. Okay. Back to our show. I love your goal, Erin. You have said, and of course, this is your big um, platform right now, that you'd like to increase the number of women running for office to 250,000 by the year 2030. I mean, that's no joke. That that is a no joke number. (laughs) I, 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 it gives me me goosebumps. I'm a big dreamer. I'm a big go for the gusto type too. Um, I'm curious if 250,000, is that an arbitrary number or a very highly calculated one? Um, and then if you could just project and predict how, I mean, what do you see? How do you imagine our culture would be different if your if your vision comes to yeah. fruition if if in the year 2030 we have 250,000 women run for office or more what do you think that looks like yeah we know that there are just over 500,000 elected offices in the country and so our vision as an organization is that the ballots in this country are representative of the population and that would mean that we would have 250,000 women in the pipeline, on the ballot. So the research is really clear on this, that starting at a very young age, um, about the age, so I have two daughters, one's seven, one's nine. So, you know, starting uh, just about where my nine-year-old is, girls are less likely to raise their hands. They're slowly moving into a space where they're more likely to identify, um, men as when, when asked, what does an elected leader look like? Mm. Um, they don't see themselves there. And so our vision is about, you know, all women seeing what's possible, and at least half of the ballots in this country being represented Mm. uh, of the population in this country, and and it's great diversity within just women. What we have been able to see (laughs) is that uh, for every one woman who finds her way to the ballot Mm. from that place of maybe, maybe me someday, Mm It takes eight women seriously considering it. Wow. Gosh. Hmm. So it goes to show, I mean, that's, so we're, you know, quickly do the math on it. That's, yeah. we actually need 2 million women. Yeah. 
thinking, yeah. seriously thinking about running for office to see the change and close that gap in our country. Mm. I, it's an audacious goal, but a good one and an important one. I'm curious um, how you structure inside your organization, obviously the umbrella yeah. over the org is women. Let's get women into office. Um, h- how do you, or do you yeah. make, do you have subcategories for intersectionality here? Do you, yes. um, do you work on having women of color? Do you work yes. on having women in the LGBTQ community yeah. and so on? Yes, absolutely. So we find that because we sit in that space of, you can call it being a lead finder for other organizations who are doing the very important work, the very hands-on work when somebody decides they are a candidate, that what we have to put out into the world is what we want to see. So we are very intentional in what we message, um, how we the stories that we tell to tell stories of women from all types of backgrounds, from, you know, all races and ethnicities and, um, and to, to ensure that, uh, you know, that we don't miss the opportunity to, um, to be that source of, um, of, of kind of battling what we know women are up against, which is like, you, if you, if you don't see it, you can't be it. And so we're right. showing it. That's great. Um, and, and sometimes that's harder, that's a harder story to tell. And by the way, there's also, you know, even diversity within obviously political affiliations. Sure. And of so, you know, we have to go above and beyond and out of our way to not tell just the obvious stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but to tell the stories of women from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, um, so that, so that we can see a different pool. And then, you know, from that, from that, from that storytelling place, the next phase of our work is, you know, we have our, our, our kind of bigger, um, incubator program that anyone, so, you know, any of your listeners who have ever thought about running for office or have been encouraged and, and, you know, are just looking for that place to peek behind the curtain, this is the Mm. place to do it. And I think the next phase of our work, so we're getting a lot of interest in it is, you know, just to take that one step further and, you know, people who have what can feel like really lonely experiences, if, um, you know, they're, Mm. They're, you know, they're coming from a really, uh, you know, what they feel like is a, a, a small percentage of the population. How do they sure. find their people? Um, and us taking that next step, um, which was what you'll see from us in 2020 and, and beyond, I'm sure, in even deeper ways, is just to how to get these women better connected because it can feel so lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have technology now that can make that process so much easier and That's so much less point. lonely. Yeah. Um, you know, I think backward to, to just sort of the suffrage movement and how long <laughs> it took women to work cohesively to even just get the right to vote that, yeah. uh, and even that was incomplete, of course. Um, and so I'm thinking it's such an interesting time to be a woman right now. And I'm looking sideways at other movements that have a lot of momentum, a lot of shared, um, storytelling and shared experiences like like the me too movement of yep. course and times up and i'm wondering if you think or if you've even noticed inside your own organization if those movements have had any impact on encouraging women to run for office are these any of the stories that you're hearing come in mm-hmm. um as impetus for kind of throwing their hat in the ring Yes. One thing has always been true of women is, you know, we uh, have a drive to get things done. We, you know, even before there was ability for us to kind of find one another and, and, and share those stories, um, the work was still happening. The spotlight wasn't there and it can feel really lonely. Mm -hmm. And, and what we have found in our community is that as women share whatever experience that is, as they're sharing, if, you know, you, you, you referenced me too, as they, you know, um, find this vehicle and this, um, courage to, uh, you know, to talk about really hard experiences and to do so knowing that there's a community of, 
of women and men, for that matter, mm-hmm. who are out there to hear them, to listen and to say, we can do better, um, will naturally move you to a place of saying, we can do better. What more can we do? Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, as women, you know, naturally go to this place of being problem solvers, um, you know, policy making is this incredible mover of the things that we care about in our lives. And, you know, it's really, you know, you look at, and I always make this case, like pick your issue that you care about, whatever Mm. that is, if you are not involved with or understand the policy that have implications to move that issue, you're missing the boat to accelerate whatever change you want to see. It's like, what's the, we're all looking for this right now. We're all strapped for time, right? It's like, what's the lever I can pull that is going to make as much good as possible. And you have to, you have to have policymaking in your portfolio or your eye on it in some way. If, if you want to see, you know, if you want to see issues move forward. And so I'm never surprised to see when there's big conversation and we do see it, uh, you know, around anything that, you know, any major conversation that, that involves women or something that we're struggling with collectively that we then see women's, you know, stepping up in droves to say, okay, let's tell me more about running for office. Mm, that's great. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about, um, women who are listening right now and, um, you know, when we, we think about she should run it, our, my brain tends toward, okay, we've got you know, these women really in the front lines right now that we're seeing they're in the House of Representatives, we're talking about senators, we're talking about presidential candidates, of course, right now. But the truth is, that's going to be a very small percentage um, of of elected officials in the country. So maybe women don't feel equipped to run for president, or governor or mayor, maybe the big ones, but local government affects us far more than most people ever think about or realize. And so I'm curious from your perspective, if we want to affect change at the local level, like you were just talking about, what are some key positions that, um, that women should consider? Yeah, look, the sky's the limit. So yes, let me just further amplify, um, and, and maybe open up some minds to, to what is possible for elected office in this country that isn't, um, federal office. And that is not my way of saying that women shouldn't go for running for federal office. They absolutely should. Right, right. right. Yes. Uh, and yes, it's all yes. yes. Uh, that is a given. And with over 500,000 elected offices in our country, over 99% of those are at the local level. Our conversation is, is, you know, heavily, heavily skewed toward, and money in politics is heavily skewed toward, you know, the select few who are running for federal office. And to your point, the, you know, the reality is that, you know, the day to day it's, you know, how our towns are run, how our, you know, how our roads look, how our, what the, the health and quality of our water, the, Mm. um, you know, you name it in your, what are you touching and feeling every day? There is a component that is tied to what is happening in your local community. And, you know, the positions are called different things, but, um, you know, we always say, and we start this with our incubator too, and, in, in, you know, mapping, mapping out, uh, and it's not easy to do, by the way, mapping out who your local elected officials are. You know, mm. many of us aren't thinking about this until, you know, basically the, ba- the ballot's in front of us and we're saying, who's this person? What are they? That's true. For? And that's, by the way, I always like to say, hold up. That's most everyone. There are hmm. only a few people in this country who approach that differently. And I think it's a, it's something that needs a fundamental shift. We should know who our local elected leaders are. Hmm. You should know who your town mayor is, especially, you know, that if that person is accessible and they, and they work for you, by the way. So that's right. Getting to know who they are and what they're responsible for. Um, if you have a council, you know, I I, um, I happen to live in a in, in a relatively small town. We have a we have a you know incredibly involved town council that mm-hmm. advocates for you know a whole, whole host of issues um, that that uh, matter to to me to the the, the schools that my kids attend um, and and beyond. So looking at school boards, looking at um, yeah. those. T- council roles, what, what you can do is you can think about, you know, what are the, 
the issues that kind of I have a fire in my belly about that are going to get me out of bed every day Mm -hmm. and figure out who of your elected officials um, has responsibility for some component of that and go Mm -hmm. make a point to get to know that person and understand their role. And that work is not easy. It is not Mm -hmm. highly accessible to us. And I think that a lot of people step away from politics, especially at the local level for that reason, because you feel like you should know more than you do. And then you somebody else is in the know. And the reality is they aren't. So be that person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I appreciate how you sort of demystify Mm -hmm. some of the connections and our accessibility to our elected leaders. You are right. They work for us. We always get that backwards right? and it feels intimidating or unapproachable, but that's not the way that it was set up to be. And so I appreciate you just saying, it's just follow your uplink and make an appointment. That's really not that enormous of a mystery. And then see if maybe you have a higher point of contribution. Um, So as I think about women listening and even considering this, Obviously, running for office is no small thing, really in any context. It's, it's, never a, it's never a really simple or small thing. And so I'm sure for somebody listening, it sounds to them like they are signing up to run 10 straight marathons, which maybe it kind of is. Um, and so I'm, from your perspective, before a woman commits to running for office, and I realize I'm asking for a soundbite to what would be a much more complex conversation, but what are... A handful, perhaps, of steps a woman should take to set herself up for success as she considers running for office. Are there any tried and true tips um, that she should follow or at least begin with? Yep, absolutely. Well, um, I won't miss the opportunity to say to sign up for the She Should Run Incubator because that is what we help walk through women through. Um, You know, look, I think you cannot miss the step of really exploring what it is you have passion for? Um, What change do you want to see? What is that problem you want to solve? What's that thing that, you know, either it's you find yourself um, just feeling like you you can't believe that, um, you know, that that you don't know more about your local community and, and, you know, what's happening in your local community. And maybe that's because your local elected officials are detached. (laughs) Maybe it's because you Mm. should start asking questions about that. Um, if it's, if it's, you know, uh, climate, that's your issue. If it's, you you know, on the whole host of, you know, your schools matter, is it, um, whatever it is that you feel like this is the thing that really matters. Is it representation? Cause that's okay Mm. too. I think starting in a place of knowing what your fire in the belly is, then figuring out who, who, where, where are these, you know, as we call it power mapping, um, it's not just your elected officials, but who are the, um, probably unofficial gatekeepers who are in your local community, who are the king and queen makers, um, that are recruiting individuals to run for office. Sometimes these Mm. people are involved in local parties. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're political owners. You want to know who those individuals are because you don't want to introduce yourself after you're running for office. You want to get to know them ahead of time. So mapping out who people are, establishing yourself within those circles. So, you know, don't, don't, don't miss the opportunity, um, and run for town council if you've never shown up to a town council meeting. So, um, you know, those, those things, by the way, that's not uncommon, but, but Mm -hmm. talk about putting you in a position of power and, and, you know, real thoughtfulness and authenticity for your future, uh, constituents is, you know, you want to, you want to have a little bit of a track record there. It doesn't have to be now. Now, this is where I always have to pause and say for women, this doesn't mean wait 10 years, uh, Hmm. you know, that you have to prove yourself and prove your, uh, it means that you want to do your due diligence and that that can happen as quickly as it needs to happen. If you want to run for office in six months, that can happen incredibly fast. If you feel like, nope, you know what, I, this is something I want to think about in, you know, three to five years, you can, you can slow that down a little bit. Um, but, but figuring out who the people are you need to know, knowing what it is that is the fire in the belly that's going to make you want to do the hard work. Um, and then, you know, money is a factor. The last one that I'll point out is mm, uh, no matter what office you run for, um, there is going to be some element of you uh, needing to have skin in the game in terms of money that you can raise uh, yeah. 
to, to support building. And that's all about building your name recognition, by the way. So you raise money in order to get your name out there. And, you know, women traditionally, uh, have a hesitancy around this though. They raise just as much money as men. Mm -hmm. Um, they have hesitancy around raising money. And so if, if you're somebody who's really coming to this for the first time, I always say, pick a cause, um, pick a cause, pick a goal, Go raise some money for that at whatever level. Know that you know if you run for super local office, you you may you may need to raise you know hundreds of dollars, a thousand dollars. It's not you know it's not always, it's not going to be the million dollars or plus that right. you hear about federal offices. But but you don't want once you've established yourself as a candidate to be the first time that you've asked somebody for money for for a cause mm-hmm. that you believe in. Hey everybody, Jen breaking in for just a second. I am, as you know, a huge advocate for counseling and feel like sometimes we just need a little guidance from a trusted source who can help us look at things objectively and find a way forward. So BetterHelp Counseling, it's an online resource that offers licensed professional counselors and they're specialized in issues like depression and stress, anxiety, relationships, family conflicts, grief, honestly, you name it so much more. Um, You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, absolutely confidential online environment. Uh, You can even schedule secure video or phone sessions or chats or texts with your therapist. And so best of all, it is truly affordable, which hinders a lot of us from good counseling. And so for you guys, the listeners of the For the Love podcast, BetterHelp is giving you 10% off your first month with the discount code for the love. So if you're needing a little help getting to that good change in your life, go to betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay. So one more time, betterhelp.com slash for the love using the code for the love. Okay. Back to our show. She Should Run uh, occupies a little bit of rare air right now in that you are running an organization uh, with political goals, but it is bipartisan. So, wow, we didn't know that was possible. You're a unicorn. Um, So, I mean, obviously you, this, this matters to you. You want women in all places and in all, in both parties. And I love that. So from that angle, as, as, as someone who works with civil servants and women yep. running for office across the aisle and, you know, having all these women in the incubator together and lots of you, you are at the helm of a lot of discussion across ideology. Yes. Um, so how would you just suggest to us as citizens, yes. um, what, what are some of the practices that we can adopt to have civil discussions yes. across party lines with our neighbors and family members who, you know, have different ideas about how the country should be run and and how do we both share our, our ideas and learn from uh, one another's ideas in a way that doesn't just burn the whole thing to the ground, which is what I feel mm. is what we see in the news cycle every single day. Uh, and it's so exhausting. And it's I don't exhausting. know. I, I honestly, um, I, I often feel this pressure of why would anyone want to run for office when, right. right, When this is, when this is the, what you're seeing the day in and day out in politics, um, it's, it's so hard to take, um, watching, you know, watching women even, um, across the board being questioned because they're women in ways that men would never be questioned. Um, their families being, you know, uh, attacked. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it makes it, it makes it, it makes for a really hard case to say, to turn around and say, okay, now I really want you, I want you to really think about running for office. Um, but the reality is in order for us to have a healthy democracy in this country, we have to have individuals, um, from, from all political backgrounds represented and, we have to have women represented at at least 50% in this country. And most of what is happening in, in, um, in governance 
in public service is not that highly polarized political discussion. Um, it's the it's the hard work that's getting done unnoticed behind closed doors to make our communities stronger. And most of the individuals who are running for these roles are not running because they are about a party first or about right. only one issue. They're about making a difference for the better and and those are the stories. It's really hard to break through with that story because, you know, because of of where our news cycle is and and because of, you know, how we're how we get our information now. But we have we've moved so far away from what it means to be a public servant and celebrating right. that and the hard work that is, you know, often created it, underpaid, um, paid most of the time, but grossly underpaid um, for what people are giving in terms of their time and resource to making their communities better. And so, so, you know, I think that never before has there been a more important time for us to have spaces that are not about political party or a or about a single issue, but they are instead about us moving this country forward in a way that is opening pathways for 50% of the population. And, 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 you know, in order for us to get there, um, you know, there, I wish there was one answer, but I would say the most important, um, around civil discussion is listening. Um, right. Like we have to be able to listen and look, I'll tell you, in the she should run community, we have we have interesting bedfellows, as you, as um, as we say, I'm like sure, sure. right uh, people who believe very different things, and sure. I, I feel incredibly lucky to have um, to you know wake up every day and be able to offer a community where it isn't. Um, this place where you can only talk to people who believe the same things that you do um, and that we're forced into a position of listening because it's always the great lesson. I mean, this is a school teacher. I mean, coming back out of when we serve, uh, when when women, when anyone serves in an elected role, your constituents don't all think exactly the same. And so, and you are representing them. <laughs> and so you have to have the ability to hear differing opinions and to That's make right. the smartest decision about how to move forward for the collective good. And that's not easy work and you cannot do it unless you learn to listen. And I think all of us stand to, you know, sort of put down the, put down the, the weapons that, that Mm. we all, you know, sort of raise as soon as we hear a word or we see the look in the eye and, and know that, you know, most people are coming to this um, most people come to conversations with good hearts. And so how can, how can we find that? Um, we have to, we have to listen. (laughs) You mentioned your daughters earlier. I've got daughters also. And, um, so, uh, I think about our girls uh, growing up and for most of them, the classroom and the hallways at school are are the places where they begin to feel their confidence crumble. That's usually the beginning of that story in their lives. And so I'm curious, um, how old should our girls be when we start checking in with them to make sure that they are confident in their abilities to learn, in their abilities to lead? And specifically when I think about sort of preteen girls, you know, moving on up through middle and high school, how do we support them here? How do we be? How do we start this conversation young so they're not having to relearn it when they're forty-one? Right? <laughs> how do we? How do we get the engine going when they're young and fresh and full of optimism? Yeah. Look, I think uh, I don't pretend to have all the answers to that, and and I certainly live every day seeing the real challenge uh, that we face uh, just in parenting and in you know time and attention. But I think it is. Um, you, there is no too young to start with what we're exposing our girls to. And I think, you know, assumptions can play a big role. It's kind of back to this. Let us not assume um, what is possible for uh, especially the girls in our lives. You know, the society will make a lot of assumptions for them. We're still in a place where um, whether or not we want to admit it, that a lot of the messages that that girls receive starting from a very young age is that, you know, there's only certain paths for them. There's a certain way right. to be a girl. There's 
um, you know, all the way to there's a certain color you can wear. There's a certain yeah. if, if you're a girl, then you are these things. And and, um, you know, even in doing the work that I do, I have to check myself regularly on this of mm. um, helping to get into a place of when my daughters are imagining a new reality for something they want to do for me not being in the position of saying, oh, no, you can't do that. Right. Uh, and instead in living in their space and their imagination and, and you see that in young, in play, um, you know, mm. with girls and, and what they can dream up and what they can make up and, um, all the way to, you know, I obviously have, um, have younger daughters now, but, you know, just in watching, which does happen, the 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 confidence questions, um, the questioning that happens when you know they're walking out the door in the morning. I, my daughters are very different, but one definitely does, you know, uh, raise more questions than than the other around. Can I? Should I? And hmm, yeah, uh, I think just being as as um, supportive as we possibly can to hear that, to not make girls feel like that's not a, a relevant, okay question, questioning to do, but then to also push them forward. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the things I always like to point out to, um, is there is great, um, research showing how important team sports are for girls. They're mm. not the only answer, but, yeah. um, but that learning of, uh, competition and a, an exposure to, to failing, you win, you lose a game. Um, uh, the collaboration that happens on a team is something that um, very clearly is related to um, research that we're seeing on how women are rising into leadership roles later in life and whether or not they had that exposure um, mm. as, as kids. I mean, you can't, for, look, I actually don't have kids who are terribly into team sports, so you can't. Right. Force it. I'm learning that the hard way. Um, but, I, but, I but it's a great idea. <laughs> it's a great idea. The research is there. But there's a lot of ways to be on a team too. I'm sure it's probably keyed in towards sports, but there's a other other really interesting ways for our girls to find a team dynamic yes. in their areas of interest that aren't necessarily athletic, but um, still require a lot of collaboration and a lot of leadership skills. And uh, I've got one of those. I've got a 19 year old who never loves sports, but she does love a team. And right. so right. she made her own, she made up her own groups in high school and appointed herself the leader. So I'm go. like, there's a more than one way to skin a cat. That's right. Um, obviously this year's Congress has the most elected women in the U S house of representatives than ever in history, 106. Um, and 25 senators, which, you know, I feel like that just was so exciting to watch um, yeah. at midterms. And it felt energizing and hopeful. To your point earlier, you just said, golly, you know, at the beginning of the genesis of your career, you're like, we're barely making strides. This is taking forever, like a 1% increase after all this work. And so for a lot of us watching that, it felt like, wow, like this is pr literal progress. We're watching it in real time. Um, in history. So I'm curious, as you sort of watch that um, representation rise, um, do, do you look at those numbers and say, yes, we are like making a difference? Or do you look at them and say, we have a really long way to go still? Or is it both? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely both. And I always have this after each election cycle. And this, this last one, um, you know, I think being the clearest example of it, so many incredible stories to celebrate so many incredible women of color who, yeah. you know, that's, that's probably, I think the greatest story of celebration out of the last election cycle at the highest level is our, you know, our giant step forward in di diversifying, um, Congress, uh, when it comes to women of color. Mm -hmm. And I will say, you know, I, I, I think you cannot tell the story of the great steps that we made forward without also noting, though, that we we further um, 
polarized the division within political party when it comes to women. So Republican women actually took a step back in terms of representation in this last election cycle. So it's it's not a clean shot story of forward progress in terms of, you know, making sure that all women in this country are represented. Um, and I also, and it's always kind of comes with a sad trombone behind it mm-hmm. <laughs> of saying, we have a long way to go. Sure. We have a long still way low to numbers. go. These numbers yeah. are still low. We still represent, you know, less than a third of elected roles up and down the ticket across the country. And so, you know, I, and I see this in the work of She Should Run too, you know, I wake up every day with, with sweats over, are people going to feel just too fatigued to continue having this conversation around getting more women into roles of elected leadership when the very reality is this is our moment when we need to step on the gas. This is the moment when we have made some progress and we need to now double down and, you know, not just be thinking about the women who are going to run in 2020, but to think about, you know, our girls in our households, our our um, friends, our colleagues who are not thinking about running but should run in future election cycles who aren't thinking about it right now. They're not seeing themselves as elected roles. They're thinking, okay, um, you know, I don't have time to even consider that right now. And how do we become part of the ecosystem that changes Mm. that? That's 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 what keeps me going every day. I love those questions. You have any predictions or hopes for the 2020 election? Woo! I think it's going to be uh, a a wild, <laughs> a I, wild no, year. No question. No wild question. is the right adjective. That feels like a good reach. I think we're already there. Um, yeah. I think that we, and we're seeing this within our community. We will see a record number of women on the ballot. We will. I hope also expand, and this is certainly what we're working to do, to expand the conversation, not just about the women who are on the ballot, but the role that we all play in changing who our elected officials are. And as opposed to, you know, us feeling just like we want to shut it all down, you know, like turn off the social media, turn off the TV, make it all go away, that we find our role, um, even if that role feels small and know that we are part of something so big right now in changing our democracy for the better in the country and that we all have to step up in order for that change to happen. Fantastic. One of the best things you can do for self-care is to create a little bit of margin in your life, especially in your mental space. You need a break. We all do. And so I am really glad to share a new tool I have been using to create some, some margin in my mind and in my life. And it's thanks to an app called simple habit, whatever it is that you are encountering. They've got meditations for a broken heart. When you're frustrated at work, when you have a big day ahead, um, one that I regularly like is called rise and greet the day, whatever it is you need, they have a meditation for it. And here's maybe the best part. It's about five minutes a day. That's perfect. That fits me. There are hundreds of instructors and you can access thousands more with a premium subscription. Their reviews, you guys, top notch. They have 65,000 five-star reviews. So they're obviously doing something right. Simple Habit has an extra special offer just for my listeners. The first 50 listeners who sign up for a premium subscription will get it for 30% off. Just that simple. So to sign up, Go to simplehabit.com slash for the love. Okay, so one more time, that's simplehabit.com slash for the love. And the first 50 listeners will receive 30% off a premium subscription. Pretty great deal. Okay, back to our show. So we're wrapping up here and I've got three just sort of quick questions for you that we have asked all the women in the powerhouse women series um, and just kind of off the top of your head. So here's the first one. Um, what is something that a woman you admire taught you that you've never forgotten? Oh, I would think to, you know, I always think about my mom. I think about all that, um, 
all of the ways that she pushed forward as, as a, as a parent, um, parenting, you know, two young girls and something she taught me was, uh, if, if something gets in your way, go around it (laughs) and, and, you know, don't, don't wait for somebody to open the door for you, figure out a way around it. And, and if it's something that you really want, um, to go for it. Oh, I love that. That's here, here. <laughs> um, how about this? What specifically to you, what's your greatest hope for the generation of women coming behind us, our girls? You know, I hope that, I hope that our work catches up with the imaginations of our girls. I hope Mm. that, you know, we, that our generation is, is doing everything we possibly can to make that, um, that vision that I think many girls have, which is that anything is possible, a reality. Yes, me too. Oh my gosh. Same. Here's our last question. And we actually ask every guest in every series, this final question from an author that we love and your answer can be whatever you want it to be. It can be really important and like full of gravitas or it could be absolutely absurd. So it's up to you. Um, but the question is what is saving your life right now? <laughs> um, I am going to say that I got, I'm, I'm not a dog person, but I recently was talked into getting a dog Mm. and, um, my seven-year-old talked me into this and I know about this. I've been you. I know. Uh I know there's a lot of people out there have been me and I am now dog's number one fan. And the thing that I will say about this dog is that it has, he has like a perma smile and, (laughs) and, and I'm somebody who just needs a lot of laughter in my life. And so when I have the opportunity to work from home, especially, and I'm just feeling really like, I don't know how I'm going to get through the day and, and everything feels so heavy. This dog is always smiling and it, it actually makes me laugh. That is hilarious. (laughs) You are going to have to send us a picture of your dog so I can put it up on the on the transcript of this episode. What kind of dog is it? He is a mini Australian Shepherd. Oh, those are the dearest, He's the really cutest, cute. the happiest dogs. No wonder you're in love. Um, that's by the way. That's exactly how this goes. I also got talked into a dog eleven years ago. It's my dog. That's my dog under my feet right the second all the time follows me around like a stalker. So yes, I, that's how it goes. And you knew it when you went into it. And so did I. I did. I Um, know. That's so great. Well, listen, I really admire you, Erin. And I am, it just encourages me to know that you and your organization are out there doing so much of this important, heavy lifting. And I know it's heavy. I know this is hard. This is not easy work that you've engaged um, that you have said yes to, but it matters and impacts all the rest of us. And so I am so delighted to have met you. And I want my listeners to know that anybody who had their, your heart quicken a little bit as you were listening, and this is, this is something that may pique your own imagination and vision. We are going to put up all the links for She Should Run. Um, and like Erin said, it could just be a little foothold in. I mean, maybe you just start in the incubator space and just start listening and learning and sort of curating information and, um, and then see what goes from there. But I want to thank you for what you do for women and, um, and ultimately what you're doing for our culture. It's not just for women, because as you've mentioned so beautifully, more women and represent representation is good for everybody. And so cheering you on in every way. And thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. I found so many points in that discussion, encouraging and so useful. Just, it's funny. We think about women running for for office and we're thinking about these big people that we see on our news cycles all the time. But like she said, 99% of it's at the local level. Like this is accessible. This is possible. And I loved how Erin reminded us that in the real world, 
down here at most of our levels that we would all serve in, in the local space, it's not this bipartisan dumpster fire like we see all the time. It's That's not the easy storyline to reach for. It's way more cooperative than that. And it was just encouraging, like, gosh, there is another story to latch on to and ultimately to be a part of you guys. So anybody who listened today and thought, if you had any spark at all, be it the very first little tiny spark or this piled on to a conversation you've been having with yourself for some time. If you'll go over to jenhatmaker.com underneath the podcast tab, pull up my episode with Erin and we will have everything linked for you. Um, all of her sites, um, the incubator, all of her social media spaces. Um, Cause like she said, maybe you just need a runway and that's what the incubator program is. So that's like, I just need to know more before I know more. Um, there's a, there's a room for you there and her organization. And so anyway, we'll have that for you. You know where to go. We'll also have, as always, the entire transcript of this episode written out for some, sometimes it's good to read it. Sometimes you want to cut and paste a portion that you want to remember somewhere. So uh, I do hope that you're using that incredible resource because Amanda spends a ton of time on it every single week, making sure that you have awesome pullout quotes to use and, extra resources and pictures and all kinds of bonus stuff. So go over there. Hey, thank you guys for sharing the episodes that you love. That matters to us so much. We see when you do that. We see when you post links to your favorite episodes or you send them to your daughters or you send them to your moms or your best friends and say, I think you should hear this. Um, we are so grateful for any time you bring new listeners into our community. We care about them. We promise to treat them with great love and respect, just like we do you. And so um, also, if you haven't already subscribed, go do it. It'll take you five seconds and you'll never have to look for another episode. It'll just show up handy in your phone. Um, grateful to Erin today for her time, um, for her energy, proud of her, glad that there are errands in the world out there just literally making a difference. Okay, you guys, um, more to come and you are not going to want to miss next week's episode. I promise you that. See you next week, guys. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.